Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Input 2. I'm your host, Emily Rubin, and today with me I have... Jeremy Rogers. And Jeremy, what is special about this episode? Um, I'm here again. That is not what I was going for. You're right, I'm not special. What's special today is that it's a holiday episode. And it's not Easter. I'm so sorry, but you know what? But anyone who thinks they've tried to watch an Easter movie, uh knows we're probably not doing this over Easter. There well, are not Easter movies. What would we talk about? Hop? <laughs> that or holidays. <laughs> oh, God. The short about Easter. That's that's probably really offensive. So just, it's just such a bad movie. Easter deserves better, too. But no, we're going to talk about my favorite holiday, which is Pesach or Passover for all you Goyim. And because I'm Jewish and I, I that's what I know. Also, I think there's a movie... We're, we're going to talk about Prince of Egypt, and it's just a Ooh. really good movie, even if you're not Jewish, whereas Hop is a really bad movie. So I think it's fair that we just skip all the that, and we go to something that's actually good. So, well, first off, I guess I should ask, like, do we, does that, do we all know what Passover is? Most people probably do not, no. Okay, well, this is my favorite holiday, and it's because it's like, it's kind of like this epic tale, like... That you've got, you got murder, a lot of murder. You got like the big, big bad. It's kind of like Lord of the Rings, but in the desert. Yeah, that's <laughs> pretty accurate. So basically, there's this guy named Moses. <laughs> Heard of him? And Moses is saved from being executed by the Egyptians because they want to slay all the Hebrew people because they're like they're gonna rise up against us, you know, as you do, and. His mom is like, you know, maybe let's not let that happen. So she sends him in a basket down the Nile, and the Egyptian queen takes him in, and he is raised as a prince of Egypt alongside Ramesses, who is going to be, like, the new pharaoh when he grows up. And basically, uh, <laughs> Moses learns about his actual heritage of being a Hebrew person, and he freaks out, and he accidentally kills somebody. Uh, he kills a guy that's, like, whipping another person. Yeah, he he kills an Egyptian who's whipping a slave. But he still feels really bad about it, so he runs away. Uh, he ends up starting, like, this new life uh, in Midian, I think, and then he he finds God, basically. God's there. Okay, well, God finds him. Yeah, okay, well, he, like, God beckons him to uh, the burning bush, and he's like, you're going to go to Egypt and free the Jews. And he's like, I don't know about that, sir. <laughs> and then God's like... Who do you think made man? <laughs> Are you going to question me right now, Moses? Are you? You feeling big today? And then Moses puts his shoes back on and he goes back to Egypt and he literally just walks up to Ramesses like, let my people go. And Ramesses is like, no, why He's would like, I do Moses, that? you always were a kidder. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. Uh, so basically, God's not really playing around. And so he unleashes... All these plagues, uh, they're, I can read them in order, they're blood, frogs, bugs, wild animals, pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, and then darkness. <laughs> yeah, so that those are the plagues. And eventually, you know, the sun, all the firstborns of the Egyptians are killed, and then Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's like, alright, I guess you can leave now that my son has been killed. Uh, it's pretty tragic. And then TLDR will skip ahead, and they're in the desert. Moses leads the people out. The Red Sea parts. They leave. The Red Sea stops parting when Pharaoh's forces come back to get them. That's, That's Passover. It. That's the Prince of Egypt, the movie. 
we that's Passover and what the Prince of Egypt is based off of. Um, but yeah, so that's what we're talking about today. Um, it should be probably noted that like, I, you know, this is a Jewish story, but I think that is still like a widely accepted like biblical thing, right? I'm not yes, anything the, but Jewish. So. Yeah, yeah. The first, all of the Torah is contained within the Bible. There you go. So while this story does tell the story of the Jewish people, I think is it's a very universal tale. Uh, yeah, for the Abrahamic religions. So this is quite a beautiful movie that we're going to deep dive into today. So beautiful. Uh, so beautiful. And critics gave this a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. What? Oh, yeah. Really? We'll, we'll get into it. And then audiences gave it a 76%. People have no taste. Well, yeah. <laughs> I personally think this is one of the most beautiful animated movies of all time. Um, Easily. But... It's not without its problems. We'll say that. It definitely has its share of, you know, pestilence in it. Nice. <laughs> That's why I'm here. So I think something to contextualize this is this came out during the Disney Renaissance, but this is not a Disney movie. This is a DreamWorks film. And, you know, that means <laughs> it always goes back to Katzenberg, to Jeffrey Katzenberg on this podcast, but... That's kind of, he was the one that was like, let's do the Prince of Egypt. And apparently Steven Spielberg was like, hey, why don't you just adapt the Ten Commandments? I, I don't know how true that is, but that's that's how it goes. So I guess it's really Steven Spielberg's idea. But not really, because it's based off of everyone else's idea, which is fine. But uh, going off of that, the Ten Commandments, uh, if you don't know, is this like cinematic masterpiece. It's very grand in scope. It is, it's regarded as one of the epic films. It's very long, uh, very dry. Star-studded cast. Yeah, they're all white because, as we all know, Egyptians are all white, uh, at least in the world of... Oh, yeah, um, yeah. We're just kind of going to readapt this and reinterpret this to be more of like the Ptolemaic Egyptians, you know, the ones from up in Europe who came down. That's, right. Yeah, that totally happened. Totally was just like that. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely not. In case the no. sarcasm doesn't come through. Um, but because this movie was such a grand, like in, in terms of cinematography, in terms of stars, in terms of reception, uh, when DreamWorks was like, we're going to do an animated Prince of Egypt, people were like, why? Why? We have like this huge masterpiece that doesn't need to be like retold or remade. And I think that's a lot of people's thoughts on it. Um, we can debate a little bit on which is the better film. And like a lot of debates, you know, we can we can firmly say one side is wrong. Well, I think uh, one is absolutely beautiful and the other one is just kind of cool. Yeah, one is a beautiful piece of art, and the other is The Ten Commandments. Okay, The Ten Commandments is a really well-made film, especially for the time. Cinematography is really well done. I don't really think the acting is very good. Everyone is the exact same character. In the Except Prince for of... Vincent Price. <laughs> is Vincent Price in that? I don't yes. remember. Yes, he, he has a very small role, but he's he's definitely in there. I love and Vincent he, Price. And he's always a character unto himself in everything he's in. All right, it wins. Sorry. You just... You just swayed me uh anyway but the prince of egypt it's it really shouldn't be compared to the ten commandments in terms of qual like i think it far exceeds in what it sets out to do if we're th it's not an epic but it's not trying to be it's this contained animated film 
that I really think shows like the beauty and like just the, the scope of the story and like the emotional like turmoil that the Ten Commandments doesn't go into. It really doesn't go into the emotion between like you know the two brothers or anything and like the tragedy of them having to become enemies and everything. So what would be a better comparison for uh, to compare Prince of Egypt to? Oh, uh, probably a Disney film. I'd probably go with probably Lion King because while, you know, the jury's kind of out, a lot of people will tell you it's not a direct adaptation of Hamlet. There's a lot of influence from... Kimba! Kimba the White Lion. <clears throat> Jungle Emperor Leo. But yes, that's another nerd out story for another day. Yeah. That'll be for our episode for the Lion King live action movie. Uh, I will have graduated, but I will phone in to talk about Kimba. You don't understand. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think any Disney film is a better comparison just because of one, you know, the uh, the animosity between DreamWorks and, you know, um, wow, I forgot. Disney. And Disney. Disney's the word. Yeah. Thank you, <laughs> Disney. And uh, well, I I don't think they're copying the style of Disney per se, because this is a lot more stylized of a film. Yeah, but I mean, they still have large musical numbers, big, like, the format scope. Yeah, the format and structure of it is very similar. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's more of a fair comparison, because at the end of the day, I hate the idea that, like, animation is only for kids, but this is the child's telling of the Passover story. It's like how the Beauty and the Beast from Disney is the children's Beauty and the Beast. It's arguable. I mean, those were always fairy tales for children, but by American standards, the originals are too grim. Right. So, Jean Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast, La Belle la Bette, is not Disney's Beauty and the Beast. So, I th in terms of tone, when we say, and I say it's like an epic film... Or not like an epic in terms of like filmmaking, but in like think Hunchback of Notre Dame. Like they have this in Disney, they have this like this epic tale, but it has to be Disney's epic tale. So it can't be as epic. But for a Disney film, the themes that it tackles and the imagery it shows is epic in comparison. And they really go all out in the animation to show you uh, what they can do with animation. I think Prince of Egypt actually exemplifies this a little more than most Disney films. Yeah. Sue me. <laughs> um. This was also the first 2D DreamWorks animated film. So, uh, I really like Spirit of the Cimarron. I don't think a lot of other people do. I hear a lot of critiques about it, and that's okay because it's flawed. No, I remember going to the theater to see Spirit. The theater was so full, our family had to sit in separate seats around the theater because there weren't enough seats empty side by side. It was a fantastic experience. I kept so. going to Burger King to get the Spirit toys, so... <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't go that far. No. Well, I did. Um, but other than that, I guess we have, uh, well, other than Spirit, there's, you know, oh yeah, the other biblical ripoffs they did. Those didn't go well. We'll go into those in a little more depth, but just just keep in mind that they're not very good. You can pause it and look it up yourself. They're not good. Um, or you can be like me as a young child and confuse them, always thinking that whichever one it was, was going to be the Prince of Egypt. They're all the same. And then just be like, whoa, there's a huge difference in quality. Well, Joseph takes place in Egypt. So, like, it's kind of confusing. That was the one I always got confused for Prince of Egypt, and I was disappointed every time. It's a terrible movie, by the way. But um, then we have uh, Road to El Dorado. Great movie. Love uh, it. I like it a okay. lot. It's got a lot of charm. Music's not very good. Um, 
But then we, like, there are a few scattered here and there examples of 2D DreamWorks. Sinbad. Sinbad with really great animation sometimes. Yeah, really great sometimes animation. Like the bad guy. But obviously, in comparison to, like, the Disney Renaissance, it, it wasn't as much of a hit. Like, you have to keep in mind, Disney had, like, they had the princesses. And I think they had the marketability and they have these huge names and they have a bigger animation department they could they just swept dreamworks under the rug and then shrek happened and we all know what happened to dreamworks animated films so there you go that's dreamworks that's the history of dreamworks that's it don't even look anything else up yeah nothing more required (laughs) folks no but that is a very tldr version of like kind of what was going on at the time with dreamworks so the prince of egypt uh pretty much perfectly follows the passover story so in terms of narrative, if you know the Passover story, there's not really anything different. But what is different is the focus on characters. Um, there's This is what sets it apart, not just from other Disney Renaissance movies, but most films don't have such a strong foundation in character. Uh, particularly the relationship between Moses and Ramesses is incredibly strong. Uh, obviously, we know Ramesses turns out to be just this complete jerk. You know, he grows up and he's like, I don't care about the slaves. Um, but even so, it's hard not to feel like they do such a great job animating their emotions and like showcasing how much these two brothers love each other that we can even feel bad for this monster of a human being when he sees that his brother has to turn against him. Right. And we also get to see the context of them growing up and them being these, you know, friends with nothing coming between them and their father, the pharaoh, yelling at Ramesses, saying, you know, you will not be the weak chain that destroys the dynasty. Yeah. And seeing how much that impacts him and scares him. Yep. And then they even say it that Moses doesn't have the burden of the crown on his shoulders. So Ramesses really does get an interesting perspective. He's not just like this one-dimensional villain. We really do get to see him as just like an innocent kid who grows up and he has to take the burden of his father's legacy. And not only that, he feels that he has to do better than his father. Like he is, he is, he says he is Egypt. And so he needs to make sure Egypt is like this godly, like thriving, this huge Growing entity. Yeah. Place. And for him, the people, the Jews are just slaves. They aren't people. That's how he's been conditioned. And he can't grow past that. And when Moses starts to, you know, preach to him, you know, let the Hebrew people go, he doesn't see it so much as like a moral issue. He sees it as his brother choosing another family that he hasn't even known over his own and just like turning his back on everything they've had together. Right. This is a test for Ramesses. His entire youth, his brother has, you know, put up these shenanigans that he's gotten Ramesses involved in, and it's always put Ramesses in the doghouse. He's always gotten in trouble for it. And now that they've grown up, Moses has just stepped things up again. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I think it's important to mention, like you said, like Moses is the one that always got Ramesses in trouble. And now you have to think from the perspective that Ramesses is now in like the top position. And Moses is the one that's like, actually, God chose me. And like, you're doing some real bad stuff here, kiddo. And I'm going to need you to stop. It's just kind of like, hmm, that's a real power move <laughs> from Ramesses' position. Right, right. From Ramesses' perspective, this guy's going like, yeah, these gods that I know neither of us grew up believing in, 
Yeah, the god chose me. Well, not as even... As his divine... As his person. Well, not even the gods that they didn't believe in. It's like, for Ramesses, this is a god that he didn't even, like, perceive as existing, even on the map. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, they didn't grow up believing in the Hebrew god. They grew up believing in Ra. Yeah. Sekhmet, you know. Sobek. All the other gods named in the high priest song i think how they handle religion this is and it's really interesting because we have you know the egyptian gods who to the egyptians are or at least well i'll take that back to ramesses it seems that they are very much real and i assume to most of the egyptian population they're real as well but we see very clearly that they have priests that manipulate like imagery and like smoke and mirrors to make miracles appear to happen when it's all just like a show literal smoke and mirrors uh we said it was really artsy, and we said it was beautiful. We did not say it was subtle. No, like, they literally have, like, apparently they have, like, slaves on standby, up, like, on a stage-esque thing, just in case a musical number needs to happen, so that they can, like, manipulate shadows and everything. So they can close the windows and everything. So I like to imagine that they have people just positioned there. They bring them, like, one, you know, little cup of water a day, and it's like you have to stay up here. And they're like, but no one's coming. There won't be a song. They're like, oh, you'll see. And then it happened. So there you go. (laughs) But it's interesting because from the viewer perspective, we are shown that the Hebrew God absolutely exists. And we are shown that the Egyptian gods most likely do not exist in conjunction with the Hebrew God. Um, But from the perspective of like Ramesses, they are real so like i it's interesting too that we see what you know he can't so from his perspective like yeah why would you just believe some randy coming in here being like my god's the real one it's kind of interesting it's like well well god maybe you should have done something a little better than turning a a cane into a snake like Like, his priests can do like martin short and steve martin who play the high priest's Like, if they were your high priests, I'm pretty sure you'd believe them, too. I like to believe they weren't in that movie. Yeah, I mean, we did talk about the uh, Ten Commandments being full of white actors, but, like, looking through the IMDb page of the voice actors... Yeah, no, this is a very white movie, too. The only difference is that we can't really see the whiteness because it's just voices. Yeah, yeah, so take that into account when we're talking about this. We should take it into account. Um, but yeah, I really, I think overall, this is a very powerful narrative. Uh, I, something I don't think works really well at some points are the song placements. I like a lot of the songs. What do you mean? Like, don't you just love it when we have this like quiet emotional scene, like this montage of shots, then we just see these, we're immersed in characters just emoting and then suddenly someone starts singing? Uh, yeah. Specifically, the moment that comes to mind is during the song When When You Believe. It's sung by <laughs> Moses' sister Miriam. And prior to this moment, we have seen all the Egyptian children, these innocent children, have nothing to do with the bigger battle. They are slain by God as, like, well, fair, as punishment as, for their parents. For Pharaoh, specifically. And, um... It's very quiet. We see Moses, you know, he's he's heartbroken because he didn't want it to come to this. He knows it's a terrible... While the Hebrew people are now freed, a bunch of innocents are killed. 
And he's just gone to see his brother who's grieving and he tries to comfort him and to reach out and his brother just goes, leave me alone, go away. But then Miriam comes out freaking with a smile on her face and Moses looks away and she's like, Banana. it's like, whoa, calm down. Maybe a vocal like weed in like some dialogue really quick. I don't know, but it's just very jarring. And um, people really like that song. It became a really successful pop single because of Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey. But I don't like it very much. No, neither do I. And also the parts that are my favorite, which are the Hebrew parts, weren't even like conveyed by Mariah Carey or Whitney Houston. So I doubly don't really like their versions either. Um, But that's one example of an abrupt song. Another one, I don't know if it's abrupt. I'm just not a big fan, but the, uh, you're playing with the big boys now. Never been a fan of that song. It has always been my number one least favorite song in the entire film. I just, I get what they're going for. In theory, it could be fun because, you know, that's when they're trying to prove the Egyptian gods are real. And, you know, like, <laughs> your god is nothing, Moses. But it, it the priests aren't fun. I don't care about them. So that other than that, I really like most of the songs. Um, the opening and the Ten Commandments are the showstoppers. The but, plagues. Yeah, not the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Whatever. Um... But I also like uh, Jewish Santa singing. Uh... Oh, God. This man <laughs> sounds like a warm embrace. <laughs> yeah, he's like, um, oh, my gosh, I'm spacing on the name. Through Heaven's Eyes. Thank you. Through Heaven's Eyes. I love that song. It's just really happy, and I enjoy it. And it's a good transition of time. And we get to see Moses go from, like, this prince that feels like he's lost everything. And just, like, you know, he's embracing his culture and his people. He even gets a wife out of it. That's great. Yeah. Yay. So that's cool. Uh, but, I, yeah, the opening song is really strong for setting everything up. We also have some pretty terrifying imagery with the children being killed. Um, the Hebrew children being killed and them having to run away from them. But, uh, you know, the plagues are definitely what everyone remembers. And the imagery in the plagues is really intense for a children's show. Very intense. Like, blood. Boils. The boils. The boils are fun. Cows just kind of dying in the field. Yeah. it's, It's pretty horrifying. I, as a child, remember this song very vividly just for how intense it sounds but the moment that did scare me the most wasn't actually in the song it was when god comes and slays the egyptian kids because it's just silent except for like actual death coming in and just like these wisps and it's like a gasp of air whenever a child is killed yeah you hear the final breath just creep out of their bodies it's really messed up That has always stuck with me. Like the scene of a young Egyptian child, it's dark outside, he's coming in carrying a pot, he just walks in through the open doorway, the white spirit of God comes in right after him, you hear the wisp, the the pot shatters, and then you see his arm like come out from the shadow. There's also the candle that goes out, it's not fun. So that's probably the most memorable scene for me, just because... It messed me up because I was like, what do the kids do? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing is the answer. They didn't do anything. Rip. <laughs> Just sad. 
But I want to talk a little bit more about the overall aesthetic of this movie because they do a lot with colors that I actually don't even see very often used in Disney. And that is that every scene in this film, I won't say every, most most shots, they're very open and they really do show like a world. Um, when Moses is talking to Ramesses or even when Moses and Ramesses are talking to, you know, Ramesses' father, the original pharaoh, they're in like this palace room but you can see all of Egypt from like outside and they're just these little specks and it's like it really puts into perspective just like the scope of this movie right and we also get a lot of intentionality with angles and backgrounds and the imagery that's shown like when we see Moses's and Ramesses father the pharaoh sitting down on his like throne where he talks to them He's, like, in line with several other statues, like, huge monuments of past pharaohs. So it looks like, you know, we're going from the huge stone monuments of antiquity to the real-life person. Like, it's really effective at communicating that visually. And just to be fair, there are some shots that aren't, or they're a little on the nose, but I still think they function well between Ramesses and Moses to show, like, their, like, dichotomy. Like uh, the one where it's half Ramesses' face and half Moses' face? One's blue colors. and one's red, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, which one's the bad one? It's Ramesses. <laughs> just a hint for everybody, it's always Ramesses. I, I hope that people, even though he's characterized really well, aren't like, no, I get it. It would slay the Hebrew people. I hope that's not the case, but I don't know. That's an interpretation, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, let's let's ignore the oppressed lower class. That's good, I guess. I also really enjoy, there's a lot of purples used in this movie. A lot of purples and light blues that, uh, especially contrasted with, like, the desert orange, just looks really beautiful. But even when we don't have those blues and purples, there are hardly any films around, especially animated ones, that can make just orange seem so nice. Yeah. Like, a screen so full of orange, different hues and shades, just feels so varied and unboring. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. Um, Something also with the design of this film that kind of goes into how they wanted to portray people a little more accurately than they were in the Ten Commandments is there were actual, like, there was an actual consideration made to not only make, like, the Hebrew people look like Hebrew people, but, like, to make Nubian people look like Nubians and Egyptians look like Egyptians. Um, I will say a lot of them are lighter than I then, you know, I think they probably would be. A bit, yeah. <laughs> I, and... <laughs> Sometimes the Hebrew people look a little tan. They are tan. A, like, as opposed to a darker, richer skin tone. It's specifically Moses that looks lighter. Well, what's weird is that in the beginning when he identifies as an Egyptian, Moses has a darker skin tone than... Mm. It looks like he does. No, I think what changes is his hair color, because he has the wig off, and he has, like, ginger hair underneath. I thought he looked a bit lighter during the latter half of the film. Well, I don't know. I don't... I haven't, like, paused it to actually analyze it, but... Neither have I. The Midian people are... At least his wife's uh, Tsipora is a lot darker than he is. Yeah. Um, and that may be just what it is. So, I don't know. But either way, 
uh, take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> it's better than the Ten Commandments. But I, I don't I don't know if I'd say this is like the prime representation of what they would look like, you know what I mean? Yeah, Moses is still voiced by Val Kilmer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, something else that's really interesting is the voice of God and the consideration that went into it. In most portrayals, like the Ten Commandments, God has this huge booming voice. He's he is the Old Testament God. He is like this no jokes, like he's gonna mess you up, God. Uh, fire and brimstone, all that. Pillar of salt. This god, I get the feeling he could still beat me up, but um, he's at least nice about it. He has like this very soothing voice, like, I am what I am. Yeah, it's very like, the god from the Prince of Egypt could like so easily go into ASMR today. I guess. I'd be creeped out if I heard. I just mean like, the very first time we hear him speak, it's just, Moses. Yeah. I like that the, one of the first things he said was, take off your shoes. <laughs> Show some respect. Oh, no. And then when Moses starts giving him lip, he's like, look, you've got the wrong man. They won't listen to me. That's when God unloads. That's when he becomes that, you know, Old Testament God that everyone thinks of. Kind of. I mean, yeah. This Compared is like... to what he was. I think, like... Characterization in his voice. You know, this doesn't really get into, like, Moses getting in trouble with God later. You know, like, for breaking the Ten Commandments. But, like, it, it's even weird because they kind of allude to that in the end of the film. They show him holding the Ten Commandments. But I'm just kind of like, but, you know, like, in five minutes, he, like, gets in a lot of trouble by God. So, like, they show enough of this God being, like, scary enough that I could believe that, like, he is a punisher of people that are even on his side. Uh, but he's soft enough that you're like, yeah, this is the god that wants to get the Jews out of Egypt. I believe that. Yeah. So I, I, this is probably my favorite interpretation of the voice of God. Um, because, you know, it's the only one that has some, some of that calm, like, you want to believe. Like, I don't know how to put it. I, it's inviting it's soft and approachable but it's backed up by action like it's backed up by fire raining down from the sky yeah <laughs> um so <laughs> towards the end of the film another scene that really sticks out is like when the red sea parts and it's impressive because even like just rewatching it now like it still looks really good in comparison to like 1998 um, you see, like, whales in the background, like, the silhouettes, and it looks, it's so impressive. The water physics, like, the water spraying on everybody is, it's really impressive. And I bring that up because, obviously, they're using CGI in conjunction with, you know, the, the like, actual animation. This is a good example of it. I do want to point out an example that maybe is a little weird, but because it's stylized, it's not, like, terrible. And that's when we see, when Moses learns about the Egyptian children, I mean, the uh, Hebrew children being slayed by the Egyptians, and everything's told through hieroglyphics. Um, it's a little jarring, just because at this point we had not seen a stylistic shift at all in the film and then all of a sudden it's like this super stylized cgi like choppy movement and i don't know if it's bad but it does stand out in a way that the rest of the movie doesn't yeah because i think it's 
I think it's because they changed to this hieroglyphic, you know, art style, which is very clear, you know, pretty clean lines, all that stuff. Whereas the normal style just doesn't jive like that. It's a lot more free, a lot more varied coloration. And so it, I feel like it just kind of takes what was this really expansive, really artful film style, and then just kind of compresses it and confines it. And that's kind of why... It's not one of my favorite parts of the film. I don't think it's bad. It's stylized, which saves it. Because it's obviously, like, it's a dream sequence, too. Just to be, like, disclose that. Yeah. Um, but it's something I do want to point out, in all fairness. Uh, but I think just the overall beauty of, like, the shots of Egypt and just, like, the scope, how they show, like, the pier not the pyramids, but the Sphinx and everything. Not even the Sphinx, the pharaoh head, sorry. Um, it, it, the, the beauty of the overall animation and design and camera shots and everything and character designs far outweighs any negative aspects I feel about this movie. Um, no matter how you feel about the film overall, I think... You can't really just, you can't deny just how much attention to detail there is in this film. Yeah. And something that I've been saying for years is I think this movie would do a lot better if they brought it to the stage as a musical. Yes. Please, someone do it. So I learned that apparently in October, on October 14th, 2017, Theater Works in Mountain View, California did do a... The live action, like, theater production with, like, the music, from what I can gather. So, and someone's tried it. Someone's trying it. We're, we, we've got progress, people. I think this would just be a lot... I think it's what's going to happen... Well, I don't know how the actual, like, um, Hunchback of Notre Dame is doing in terms of reception, but I think the music in that musical is beautiful because like it carries over to Disney but the songs that they've written for it are just they really help I feel with a lot of the characters and I think some added characterization through music or even things that could pad out uh, some awkward transitions and dialogue even would really be helped by the musical format yeah also they're trying to tell this like huge story in such a confined amount of time I think the musical format will just naturally help with that because the musical is naturally formalistic so I don't know maybe plus I mean there's a fair amount of music in there that focuses on the relationship between the characters like in the middle of the plague song we've got this call and response between Moses and Ramesses talking about their relationship as brothers and that just kind of helps take this grand scope event and centralize it on these individuals. And I feel like by doing that, that would help the stage adaptation. Yeah. But you know what they did instead of making a real big official production? What? They made Joseph King of Dreams. And you know what that movie's king of? Nothing. It's king of failure. That's what it is. It's not good. It's not, it came out in November 2000, and it is, the animation is such a downgrade, and it's, it's like there's, I don't get why they're trying to capitalize on all these biblical stories, because the difference between, like, 
this story and like any other in the book of Genesis is like the scope of the story and just how universal it is to people and what the story means to so many different people, not just the Jewish people, but other groups as well. But Joseph's story doesn't have that impact. And I can say that because this was my Torah portion for my bat mitzvah and I don't feel that attachment to it. I had to read this entire thing in Hebrew Maybe that's why I don't feel an attachment to it. I don't know. But it's not an epic story by comparison. Uh, Joseph, just there's not really a, a huge foil to Joseph, so you don't get that characterization. Um, really, it's kind of just like, it's just a story of some dude getting beat up all the time. And he, like it's kind of just hard to watch a lot of times. And they can't even go into the full extent of it because it's, a children's movie so it's dumbed down far more than like the prince of egypt is yeah if you want to hear the real story of joseph go see joseph in the amazing technicolor dream coat that's an adult retelling of the story kind of the songs are pretty lame in my opinion it's not one of my favorite musicals at all <laughs> no 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 uh joseph calypso definitely not one of my favorites <laughs> But this, like, this spawned this whole, like, series of these religious films in this, like, same style. And I just, I don't think, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like that those, these come from, like, a want to capitalize on particularly, like, an audience. That, of faith. Of faith, but this one wasn't, but Prince of Egypt wasn't like that. They weren't trying to capitalize, they were trying to tell this awesome story. So it doesn't feel like malicious or deceptive, they just, they thought it was a good story and it's a timeless one, and there you go, let's make right. it. You don't have to be religious at all to enjoy the art direction and the focus on compelling characters. Or the music. It's just, it's real odd. So just, you know, don't look at Joseph King of Dreams. Watch Prince of Egypt. Yay! Yeah. I just wanted to throw that out there. We have to acknowledge it exists, so whatever. But ultimately, I love this movie. I get it's a lot of the complaints thrown at it. There's a lot of awkwardness. Uh, it could... A lot of the Disney-isms that it doesn't have, like... Mm, the smoothness and, like, polish of a lot of, like character i'd say um not even in regards to our main cast but like what can you tell me about miriam or aaron uh miriam's played by sandra bullock and aaron's played by jeff goldblum why is jeff goldblum in this movie <laughs> when i think of the jewish people i think of jeff goldblum all right no I, my question is usually why isn't jeff goldblum in this movie and i'm glad i don't have to ask that for this one at least Adam Sandler's not here. At least Adam Sandler's not here. <laughs> uh, but I think oh, we get so much characterization of the two leads that everybody else is just nothing. Except for maybe Sephora. She's, what does Sephora, like, she's the, they draw her, okay, they make her hot. And they really want us to think that she's really hot. Her curves are very accentuated. If you look at any other woman on this movie, she is sexualized like so crazily. Her outfit, just her hips, her curves, her lips. Her lips are a big one. And I don't know if I'm completely comfortable with that. I'm just going to say it. No, they definitely do the same thing that they do in Hunchback with uh, Esmeralda and making the oppressed woman the 
sexy one. It's not like all of the women are styled like this. It's like the one girl for Moses. She's got to be hot. And she's got to be exotic looking. That's the biggest part that I think gets me. It's like the exotization. They're really trying to show her. They even mention her like as a desert rose or something like that. An exotic desert flower. So that's a little strange. But Disney's guilty of that too. I think, you know what? Every white person, this isn't an excuse. This is a criticism. Why? Stop it. Just make women women. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Just because other people do it, stop it. That's more. That's less of an excuse. Be different. Dang, Be better. I was trying to say that this movie could benefit from some of Disney's like choices, and then, dang I, it. I was just gonna say, Sephora goes from being like offered as a slave to actually being, being like, rescued by a man and just becoming his wife that has very little dialogue. Touche. <laughs> she doesn't do anything. She's just hot. She's literally an arm piece. She just she randomly sings and is the absolute worst singer in this movie. Um, he's looking at me like I'm crazy. No, the, the fair, playing with the big boys now, worse singers. I disagree because this was supposed to be an actual song with like meaning. The other and one. The other one was supposed to be a song with a lot of theatrics. And I, I think they accomplished that. Fine. I just don't like the song. I don't It's a badly written either. song. But they aren't singing. They're kind of just speaking. That's the difference. She just, she has a voice that doesn't even sound like her speaking voice. She sounds very meek and like, like shaky. And it's really odd and jarring. And that's not Sephora. All right, fine, fine. Yeah. I like Miriam's voice better. I'm just going to say it. And also for Miriam being an interesting character uh, in the original, I kind of would like to see more of Miriam. Not like, you know, she's a woman, not really allowed to do anything anyway, you know, but, uh, you know, she did lead the women in dance and everything, so maybe musical, give me a song about Miriam! Yay! Yeah, maybe not just make her the naive hopeful. Yeah, she doesn't really do anything either, she just hopes a lot. Yeah, she's the font of hope, and Aaron, Jeff Goldblum's character, is the don't rock the boat. Let's also make a couple of little jokes, I guess. I don't know. I'm kind of... Aaron's the only one that calls Moses out. He's like, you haven't cared about us your entire life. And now you're like, a Hebrew now? Like, what do you want? <laughs> like, He's the only one that actually is kind of like, um, we were your slaves. <laughs> you know? Like, so yeah. I will give him that. Because Miriam's just like, you shame yourself, Aaron. And I'm like, no, no. Let Aaron speak. <laughs> He's right. <laughs> but you know whatever it's just emily speaking but you know i've said a lot of negative in the last like five minutes but i love this movie i think it's beautiful do you have any last thoughts about prince of egypt not really just go see it and if you've seen it before go see it again you know what we don't really you know okay this is my jewish people hear me out all two of you we don't get much in terms of like representation in the media that's good we're usually just those slime balls that like money and stuff. And usually we get eight crazy nights. And if you know, I'd hate that movie. And Adam Sandler makes me ashamed. So we get this. Okay, we got this. We got this. Passover got this. Uh, we don't have to take the L on this one. So if you haven't seen it, this is this is it. This is probably all we're ever going to see. So go and watch it. 
And if you're not Jewish, go learn something. <laughs> it's you probably know the story already, but it's a beautiful movie. You do not have to be Jewish to enjoy it. It just it speaks to me on a personal level because I remember going to Blockbuster as a little kid every Passover and I would rent this on VHS and I would run it across the year too because like I didn't even register it as a Jewish movie because it was just it was just this amazing animated movie, but I could also look at it and be like oh, they're Jewish like me. And I didn't realize how important that was until I realized that there weren't any other depictions of us on screen in animation at all. Where's the Yom Kippur movie? Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Where are any of the other movies about Jewish holiday? <laughs> yeah, so I want more of this, please. And for all of you celebrating Easter, you deserve better, too. So, st come on, holiday movies, we deserve better. Start demanding better. Hop isn't it, fam. And, I don't know, hog sameach, happy belated Easter. I have been Emily Rubin, and with me has been... Jeremy Rogers. And I really love this movie, and I really hope you all check it out. It's severely underrated. It got completely swept under the rug, and not a lot of people mention it when talking about 90s animated films. So, check it out. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow us at ByteBSU on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you can follow us on YouTube to watch some really cool content. And shameless plug i write for looper.com so if you want to hear me talk about things i just did a write-up for la llorona which was it was not a good movie um go check it out and if you don't know already we have all of our podcasts on soundcloud so yes finally hit us up on our soundcloud <laughs> yeah come at us at soundcloud thank you so much for listening and i will see you next time we're almost done with the semester so we only have like two more but we'll see you those next two times on input two <laughs>